Um, I did these handouts last week. Uh, apparently, more people seem to want the big ones than the small ones, so I've done more of the big ones. But if you've got really good eyesight, you can still take a small one. Um, I hope they're helpful for those of you who did take them. Um, you don't need to use them, but they're just there because they're a bit fuller than what I can do in an evening. And it gives us a chance just to recap and uh, put some reading on the back if you want to follow things up. Um, they're all books I read and I'm familiar with, so I can help you with them. But I hope that you'll find them useful. Um, great. We're going to do what we did last week because I think it worked reasonably well. Um, we're just going to pick up chairs, we're going to move around the room and get into groups so we can learn together. Um, this week I think it would be helpful just to mix the groups up so that you've got young and old, perhaps some slightly older, more mature Christians with some younger. So um, just look around the room, don't get a complex when someone comes to sit next to you. It doesn't mean that you're really immature or really mature. Just think that they probably love you and want to sit with you. But uh, let's get into groups of um, whatever would work well, um, fours, fives, sixes, sevens. Uh, just take a couple of minutes and we'll move around the room and uh, I'll kick us off in a few minutes. Okay. Um, Here we go. Is the Bible trustworthy as our authority? There are some of the questions I said this morning we're going to try and unpack. Um, Just if you weren't here last week, uh, I tried to make the point we're quite a diverse group. We've got some very young people, some much older people, some for whom this is very new, some for whom this is a recap. So I just reiterate what I said last week. Uh, If you're a young person or someone for whom this is really new, just try and take away one thing tonight. That's all you need to do. And the one thing I want you to take away is that God's word is trustworthy, and so we're very wise if we listen to him. If uh, perhaps this is not so new, then hopefully it will clarify a few issues. And those of you who are experienced, and this is all um, old hat, again, I encourage you, there's a big difference between knowing this stuff and being able to teach it and explain it to others. So just use tonight to try and digest and um, rethink through what you already know, and hopefully this will be a helpful material for you to look at. Um, But the other questions we're going to think about. um, First of all, I want you to... um, Think about the isms in the world, the great isms. Um, I'm going to put a list of isms on the screen. There you go. They're in red. Uh, The black writing doesn't correspond to the ism. They're all jumbled up. Just want to see if in your groups you can try and match up the red words with the black words. These are just uh, different philosophies, different worldviews that you will see in the world. You'll either read about them or they'll affect your culture. Uh, If you're very young and you have no idea what any of those words mean, try and learn the spelling of one of them and impress your teachers tomorrow at school. They'll be very impressed if you can tell them what existentialism means and how it's spelt. There you go. Just have a few minutes and then we'll see how you get on. Right, folks, that's enough philosophy. Um, there, There are the answers. If there's any you were really confused on. I'm sure there are one or two very brainy groups. Give you 30 seconds just to take them in. You can take it home for your bedtime reading. It's all on the bit of paper you're going to get given at the end. Now, one of the guys in this group uh, knows what I'm about to say next. They're very, very clever. They just said, does all this really matter? (laughs) Well, the answer is not really, because one guy who's a friend of mine who's a pastor in London, uh, he doesn't like using long words, nor do I, and he just said, another word for all these words is sin. He's not being flippant. It kind of is. Uh, these are sort of worldviews, they're, they're different understandings of the world that affect our culture, that affect who we are. And even if we don't know what these words mean or don't think they're very relevant to us, these things affect the world that we live in and they affect the way people think. But in many ways, they're all sin. They're all a way of undermining the authority of God because each of these different things takes something other than God as the ultimate authority. So if you can't spell any of these things, just think sin. That's what they all are, essentially. But I'll just give you those because there are things that you're going to read about in the media. Um, they're things that you'll be familiar with. Um, and uh, it's just worth being able to engage with some of them. 
Fantastic. Just let's spend a bit of time thinking about authority, okay? Think about a person you know who has authority. Uh, the authority, a definition of authority is the right to require obedience. It's the power to influence and command thought. So one of the amazing things about authority is that it's not just a theoretical thing. Authority is practiced, isn't it? Someone who has authority, that authority impacts other people. Uh, but we're living in a world where there are so many different competing voices. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, whose voice are we going to listen to? Lots of people in the world listen to the voices of those isms, the different worldviews, the different ways of thinking about the world. And over the years in the church, there have been all sorts of different authorities, and they're all good in different ways. I'll give you some suggestions. Some people have taken the creeds and the confessions of the church to be the authority. And they're brilliant, some of the creeds and confessions of the church. Some have thought Christian consensus. Some have thought experience. Some have thought reason. Um, kind of what makes sense to us. Some have thought conscience. Now, all of these things in different ways have a, a bearing on authority. They're all important. But why do we want to stress the Bible as the ultimate authority? That's the kind of question I really want to unpack. Why the Bible? Why is the Bible above all of these different authorities? Way and above all of them. Well, the simple answer is because Jesus said so. For Jesus, the Bible was his ultimate authority. And if it's good enough for him, it definitely should be good enough for us. Uh, he said when he was arguing with some religious leaders, Scripture cannot be broken. And we were thinking last week, weren't we, about how Scripture was brought together and the fact that it was written by man, mankind, people like you and me, but also written by God who oversaw everything that was written. That's why Scripture can't be broken because the words we have in the Bible are his words spoken to us. That's why they're authoritative. But the second reason why um, we want to listen to the Bible and stress that it's our ultimate authority is because the culture we live in doesn't. The culture we live in doesn't. I mean, think about the character of God. Um, God is the authority on all things because he created all things. You know, the most, one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible is the first verse in Genesis. In the beginning, God. That is one of the most profound set of words that's ever been written. If you think about what that actually means, in the beginning, God. And then you go forward to chapter 1, verse 27. God made man in his own image. So here we have a contrast. In the beginning, God was, and God created man in his own image. Human beings and God are completely different. Um, you might have heard of the, you know the three omnis. Omni is Latin for all. Uh, omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. Because God is spirit. He doesn't have to just be in one place and not in another. God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. That means that God can do anything. Uh, he's omniscient, all-knowing. Have you ever considered what it must be like for God who cannot learn anything? Isn't that amazing? That is the God that we worship and that is, getting who he is right is absolutely fundamental to the authority then that we give to his word. Because if you don't get God right, of course you won't listen to what he says. Because God's just another voice in a world of voices. That's why it's so, so important. You see, who God is determines the sort of authority of what he says. It's like that with all authority, isn't it? Who someone is gives that person and what they say authority. And we've got to get our understanding of who God is right if we're going to come to respect 
the words that he says. Do you remember last week I unpacked that, that, those verses from Deuteronomy 32, end of Moses' life, and he's speaking to the people and he says, take to heart the words that I've given you. They aren't just idle words, they are your life. So the, the word of God, it comes down to life and death. Whose voice are we going to listen to? It's not a game when we or someone in our culture decides to listen to God or not to listen to him. And Moses says that the implications are absolutely huge. So here's a couple of questions for you to discuss in your groups. How have you witnessed or experienced the authority of the word of God being undermined or rejected? Try and get some really concrete examples. And how does it make you feel? What impact has it had on you? Take a few moments in your groups and um, have a play with those questions. Okay, and uh, i got my runner. He's got his trainers on again. Here's Matthew. Um, just want to share briefly... A few things from your group. Um, there's lots of us, so please try and be really short and uh, succinct. Just want some examples of where you experience this in your life, where you have. Stick your hand up. Matthew will run around to you. Give us just one or two lines, and then we'll pass the mic around. Who's going to go first? Great. Hang on. Let's just have the mic. Yes. The fact that same-sex marriage has been legalized in this country is very distressing to me as a Christian, and I'm sure to many of us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a really big issue, the sexuality question, isn't it? We're going to unpack some of the sexuality-type questions as part of a wider series, hopefully sometime in the summer term, so we are thinking about that. Uh, It's a big issue, though. Great. Let's have a few more. There's one over there. Come on, run, run, run. Good man. Good running. I work in a church school and I went on a conference um, about worship in schools and one of the sessions was on prayer and the man that was leading the session was very much encouraging us to use um, the term God when we pray because then any faith could join in our prayers rather than using Lord or Jesus which is directly contrary to what the Bible says that there is one God and only one way to heaven. Yeah, thank you. It was that in school the evolution theory is taught as fact and that anyone who sort of questions it is just always shouted down and they're told to just get on with the, with the textbook and the course. Yeah, thank you. How long ago did you experience that? That was about three years ago. Three years ago, yeah. I'm sure people will continue to experience that. Let's have a few more from over here maybe. Any sort of very contrasting examples? Don't be shy. Right, you can pick on someone. <laughs> Run to someone you like, anyone you like, give them the microphone, and they have to say something. How about that? Go to that group over there. Give the mic to someone. No, the group in the corner. If you don't volunteer, I'll just volunteer you. That's the way it works. Go on, Matthew. Who do you want to give it to? Okay, one thing I've noticed living in Senegal, there's a lot more respect towards religious groups in general and towards Christianity, even though we're a minority. And there's a lot, the fact that um, Christians oppose homosexuality and things like this is accepted. And people don't um, dare disrespect your belief. But coming back here, it's really hit me um, how difficult it must be for the younger generation, especially at school. Um, The world view is so pushed on people. Um, I think it must be very hard in this culture to... To, to stick with what the Bible says, 
but it's a challenge and we need to stick with what the Bible says. But I really feel for the younger generation. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Bethan. So uh, Senegal is predominantly Islamic. Is that right, Bethan? Yes. Senegal is predominantly Islamic, but it's easier to be a Christian there than it is in a so-called Christian country in the UK. Great, Matthew, you can pick on one person in this group and then we'll be done. Yeah, this group in the middle. Who, who do you reckon needs to t- say something? Go on, just give it to someone. There we go. Well done. No, as Bethan was saying, it's very difficult for children in secondary school to stand for what they believe and what they're taught in church because they have a wide vision of other religions as well and very much been taught on the Big Bang Theory. And say so you have kids coming home questioning then what do we say, how do we answer this and how to handle it? And so basically you have to sit them down and go over what we know in the Bible is true and read Genesis and say, and this is where it began. Mm. Yeah, thank you. And yes, just listen to what they're saying, but this is what we believe. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Great, Matthew. Grab a seat. Thanks for doing your running. Brilliant. Well, I just want to encourage you. Um, those things are really live and difficult, aren't they? But um, this isn't anything new. So I want to give you three examples. One is from a bit of history. One's a bit more up-to-date, but a kind of political thing you've seen in the news. And then one's kind of very popular. Uh, the third one's a video that you'll see, just for a change of a voice. Um, again, if you're not interested in the detail or don't remember it, that's not what matters. If you can remember the detail, great. The key thing is, what is the point of what I'm going to tell you, okay? Uh, this chap here, Karl Barth. Uh, he's got a surname Barth, but you say Barth. Karl Barth, okay? One of the greatest minds, theologians of the 20th century... Um, in 1934, so it's in between the First and the Second World War, he wrote with the support of evangelical Christians in Germany. Uh, remember, evangelical means Bible-believing. Uh, the evangel is gospel. So he, he wrote the Barman Declaration because he wanted to challenge what Hitler um, was trying to do in Nazi Germany. And Hitler was trying to institute something called totalitarianism. He wanted himself and his uh, nation-state to be in complete control and for everyone to listen to them on all things. And one thing he refused to allow was there to be any challenge of the state. Um, So Karl Barth got together with um, other confessing, Bible-believing Christians to challenge what Hitler was trying to do in Germany. Uh, The particular things he was challenging is the false teaching that um, was arising in what was called the German church. It was a national church. And and, uh, Karl Barth and others wanted to challenge the false teaching uh, they wanted to point out that Scripture is being undermined, and they wanted to point out you can't challenge the Lordship of Jesus. This was a really live issue at this time, um, and it was really good that Karl Barth and some of the other Christians stood up against Hitler in these issues. But in the Barman Declaration, which essentially ended with six statements uh, stating what was true and what was false to try and help them refine the truth, uh, he made these points. He said, look, it's really easy to be deceived. You can think you're enlightened. You can think you're very wise, but it's easy to be deceived. And he said, anything that contradicts scripture is wrong. In our culture, if you believe that, you're a loony and you're in the minority. But we as Christians who trust in God's word do believe that. That scripture is right every single time and we make mistakes all the time. But he wanted to make the point, don't think you're as wise or as enlightened as you think you are. And that's a a challenge to us. It kicks our humility, um, and we don't often like that. Our culture doesn't like it. But this was 1934. Nothing's really changed in that regard. We're living in a culture where God's word is being undermined all the time. 
Uh, and he also made the point, unity has to be found in truth. He says unity isn't something that we want to strive for at all costs, because if we're united in the wrong things, it's not going to be a God-honoring unity. But the unity he and the Christians wanted was a unity around the gospel, believing and upholding God's word, whatever the cost. Uh, Hitler wanted to establish what he called essentially Christ and culture. Fine, have Jesus Christ, but who else is your authority? Who else are you going to listen to? The Bible says there's no such thing as Christ and. It's Christ only. This is a really live issue, but just a bit of history, just to show you that actually nothing's really changed and we're still fighting the same battles. Those people had to stand up against Nazi Germany effectively and challenge the German Christians. Uh, Perhaps you and I need to stand up against all that's happening and influencing us in our culture today. Um, It's just a live challenge and maybe that scares you, it scares me, but it's the reality because God's glory is at stake. Well, there's an example from history. Uh, Here's another one that you might have seen in the news. Um, 2013, um, the Pilling Report. I'll I'll flick on in a moment. The Pilling Report was uh, written by someone in the Church of England uh, who was asked to write a report to engage with the disagreement that people were having in the church about sexuality issues. Um, Primarily it was the issues about um, gay marriage and other such sexuality issues. They were really live a couple of years ago. Uh, Really big issues. You'd have read about them in the paper. The Pilling Report was written and it came out with 18 recommendations Um, and the essential thing that was written about was let's all just open up the conversation, particularly about God's word. Um, The the bottom line was God's word basically is up for grabs. Let's just sort of have a real think about is it really relevant? How does it speak to us today? And God's word was being undermined. This is just happening all the time. And because of the relationship between the Church of England and the state, these were huge issues. Now the reason I give you this example is some of this stuff is mega subtle. I've just highlighted there some phrases, and I've put the paragraphs in. You could then go home and look at these for yourself, because sometimes the context is important. What I want you to do is to get into your groups. Can you spot any subtle problems with any of those statements? And if you find it difficult, it might just be a bit of a challenge that the subtlety of some of these issues, we don't always spot. Can you see anything wrong with any of this stuff? Just get into your groups and see, see what you think. Yeah, let me pull you together. Um, there's so much to discuss there. I, I uh, apologise. That's kind of a hard challenge because actually when you look at some of those words, some of those phrases actually in themselves aren't, there's nothing wrong with them. The problem with these phrases in, is what is explained when you unpack them in their context. If you really want to look at them, let me just help you out because the pinning report is really long and you wouldn't want to read it. Um, even I found it dull and I read a lot. Um, but here we go. Just show you. Here are some problems with it. The first one, um, let's come to a shared mind about how to apply the scriptures. Well, in one sense, yes, that's what always has happened. There's what's called an interpretive tradition, the way people have always understood the scriptures. But in its context, what that phrase is really saying is what we really want is what's called natural theology. A kind of uh, whatever feels good to us, whatever makes sense to us, we'll just go with that. And if we come to a shared mind today and it is completely contrary to the shared minds of all the generations before... That's okay, because we're the 21st century and we're pretty bright. And maybe we've learned something that they never knew. That is actually very arrogant and very proud, but we do it all the time. So that's the first problem. Second one, uh, is God's nature to go on revealing himself afresh in every generation? Well, yes, of course it is. God is a God who speaks. Uh, That verse I read at the beginning, that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. God keeps revealing himself to us. But in its context, what they're implying is that God's word is not relevant because 
perhaps God is saying something to us today that is different to what he said in the past. Um, God doesn't change. And so what God has revealed in Scripture is what God wants us to know. And if he's revealing something today that's different to Scripture, he's not revealing it to us. Whatever he reveals to us today only upholds this truth. And that's really significant. Uh, the third one here, um, let's have further conversations and listening. You hear this all the time. One of the problems in these debates is some people who want to uphold God's word haven't always had great humility as they've gone about it. And so what's happened is people have flipped the other way and they've tried to be sort of very humble and say, let's just listen to each other, let's respect each other, let's show each other grace. Of course, all of those things are very important. But they hide then behind this false humility and they basically imply that God's word is flexible because if you are sort of too hard-lined and, and you cling to this too tightly, then you're a bit of a fundamentalist. You need to be a bit more humble than that. It's actually very dangerous. There's a great pride that hides behind humility. And you'll sometimes see that in conversations. Just watch out for it. And then the last one here, we need a deep commitment to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, of course we do. The Spirit is our teacher and he points us to Christ. But again, in the context, what is implied is that God's Spirit may say something to us today that's different to what God has already said. And so we always check what we feel God, the Spirit is saying to us by what God has said. Now that becomes more complicated, I appreciate, on issues of guidance, specific guidance in certain issues. We have to be sensitive to God's Spirit and His leading. But He will never lead us in a direction that takes us away from Christ and the Scriptures, ever. And that is always our control. If we let go of that control... It might sound very spiritual to listen to the voice of the Spirit. We need to, but he will say the same thing as what Christ has said because the Spirit is God. People get those categories wrong and they run into all sorts of issues. So I'll just show you that as a second example. This is really live. These are issues that are happening today. and We're engaging with them. These are some of the subtle issues we just need to listen out for. Um, just a couple of things to, uh, points to make on this. Um, some people push their opinions with great sincerity now sincerity is a wonderful thing um, but sincerity is never a primary authority because you can be sincerely wrong so just because someone comes across with humility and sincerity they're not always right we need to be sincerely God honoring um, of course we never push the Bible on people we never push truth on people but we do uphold it do you see the difference we don't want to ram truth at people but we want to uphold it all the time and we need to think as Christians how we do that with love and grace but never conceding ground how do we uphold scripture rather than push it um, other problem I've noticed a lot in people is some people try to use the alibi of love to replace obedience so on these sexuality issues as an example people sort of say we just need to be loving now they're completely right we do need to be loving but loving someone will always be helping them to understand what God has said. And we must never drive a wedge between what God says and love. Because God's word is love. It's good for us. And some people will hide behind the alibi of love. But remember this. As, as Jesus summarized the law, what is, what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Some people hide behind this alibi of loving each other. But if it first doesn't come a love for God, it's not truly loving. It's just worth seeing that because these things are really subtle. Uh, here's the third one. It's a little video. Um, I'm always conscious. I don't want to assassinate an individual up from the front. I don't think it's helpful. Um, 
but you will see uh, this particular person who's being spoke about spoken on the news he's uh, popular people read his books and so for that reason i don't think it's unfair to speak of him um i'd be prepared to say to his face the things that i'm going to say on this show on this video uh, some of you have heard of a man called steve chalk he's a christian leader uh, he's been a great Christian leader for many, many years, but he said some things in recent years that have not been so helpful. And he's been influenced by some of this pilling report type understanding, undermining scripture. Uh, here are just two um, Christian leaders who are discussing uh, some of the stuff he's written. Uh, they're not having a real go at him and, and lambasting him. They're just trying to say, be very careful because some of the stuff this man said is not helpful. Because he's well known, I think it's helpful to watch it. So the guys are going to stick this video on. It's about nine minutes long. Just see what you make of this discussion. I think I hope that's helpful. Uh, he's just trying to unpack some of these issues, but you'll read this kind of stuff, and I just wanted to give you an illustration. Um, I, meant, I meant to put this up, just for those who don't read a lot, and um, there are some words that he used that are quite long and difficult, and I just put some examples there of actually what they mean, um, so these guys can learn the spellings and uh, tell the teachers tomorrow. Um, but he, he inter interestingly, though, in, in that video, I don't know if you noticed, he did say some helpful things, and the thing I really wanted to pick up, which I'd love you to be aware of, um, is this idea of a kind of trajectory. Um, the reason I think these things really, really matter is not necessarily because of where these things necessarily are now, but because of the trajectory that we'll end up on if we allow these things to come in. So if you look at this little diagram, see we start in the bottom left-hand corner, but if you deviate a little bit from God's word and stop listening to him a little bit, it doesn't necessarily look like a really big deal. And in very small issues, it may not seem a big deal. But as time goes on, that little deviation from not listening to his voice becomes a big deviation. Uh, a lot of people talk about um, kind of primary and secondary issues, and if you use those terms. What they mean is there are certain sort of gospel issues that we must unite on and can never change. Kind of Jesus died, he rose again, that he is God, those kind of things. And there are sort of secondary issues about maybe how we do church and other things. Now, those are helpful distinctions in some senses because there are certain issues that are just fundamental to our faith, other issues where there's more freedom. I, though, don't particularly like primary secondary simply because we often then think secondary means unimportant. And what's happening is people on unimportant issues are bending God's word or allowing him or saying that he's saying different things. And they're going off in these directions. But then that kind of mindset and the way they handle scripture then gets imported into primary issues really important gospel issues the only reason that the word of god is undermined is because people are prepared to deviate in other areas um, so just be aware that we're on trajectories and actually getting things right really matters uh, god is a god who wants to speak he wants us to understand um, the last of our four-week series is uh, looking at is the bible clear in what it says and that will help us unpack some of that um, I appreciate there's lots of issues here. In two weeks, when we come back to this series, I'm doing one uh, an evening on, is the word of God relevant today? That we'll sort of build on some of this stuff and we'll look at some sort of up-to-date issues. How does God's word apply? Because people often say, well, it's not really relevant, is it? And I want to help us to understand how it is relevant. So um, hold your thoughts on that. But just as we um, pull things together, why is all this necessary? Why is this important? Um, I guess I made the point earlier that God and us are fundamentally different. In the beginning, God, God made man in his own image. That is one of the most important truths you'll ever read. And as soon as we forget that, we put ourselves on a level with God or over God, we stop listening to him. Um, so we need to listen and be aware of the difference between us and God, that we may think we're very bright and intelligent and we know better, 
but we really don't. God gives us every breath and heartbeat in his wisdom, and we're not God. And the second thing, which you can read out in your notes, um, you and I are sinful, and sin isn't just the stuff that we do that's wrong. Sin has also impacted the way that we think. Uh, you read, and they're in the notes, the passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Romans chapter 1, our minds have become sinful, so we think in ways that doesn't honor God, and that leads to wrong action. So we need to recognize that we have a depraved mind, and we need our minds to be renewed, so we start thinking correctly. Which brings us back to where we started, that if we and God disagree, we're wrong every single time. But that's not easy to hear. I know it's not. And some issues are particularly difficult. We have to work them through. But it's a truth that we've got to cling to because otherwise we're essentially saying to God, I know better than you. And we wouldn't be wise to do that. Um, Just to close, um, if you've got a Bible there, why don't you turn to the beginning of the book of Hebrews. I know there hasn't been sort of loads of Bible in here. Um, part of the problem is that this is such a big issue. If I had sort of focused in on one Bible passage, we wouldn't have been able to do the big picture justice. There are lots of passages for you to follow through in the notes, for you to look at yourself. But I did want you to see this one. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Just let everyone find it. There, the writer says this, In the past spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. I don't think this is a statement saying the only way that God could ever, does ever speak is through Jesus, through his word. God is huge, he is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. We must never limit God. But, please hear this really clearly. God's word is final and the fullest revelation you'll ever get of Jesus. That is why he's given us a written word that endures. And we looked at it last week, didn't we? His word never changes. And that's why these words are a great encouragement to us. Because God has spoken and he will keep speaking. And we need to listen to his voice. Uh, In your notes, uh, I've written four implications. I'm not going to talk them all through now, um, but I'll just tell you what they are. And you can um, do some work this week. But I've just said at the beginning, you're a fool if you challenge God's word. And I'm a fool if I challenge it. And you can think about that a bit more as you look at some of those passages. The second point is uh, liberalism doesn't work. And I've just given you a few examples of why. Um, You can think that one through. Um, The third one, which was a question I promised I'd answer, I'll just do this very briefly, Um, the circularity question. Some people say, you Christians use the Bible to back up the Bible. That's a circular argument. It doesn't work. You can read about this, but listen to what one writer has said that uh, proves that that's not the case. Any claim to ultimate authority must be by reference to itself, as otherwise... Any other authority summoned to support our final authority would itself become the ultimate authority. It's a bit of a mouthful. When you read it, it'll probably make more sense. But what it's saying is God's word claims to be the ultimate authority because it's God's word. If I had to go somewhere else to prove that this is God's word and truthful, that something else would be more powerful than this. And that is why the Bible makes claims about itself and why we can trust them. Does that make sense? Everyone's nodding, so that's great. 
That's actually quite a hard issue, and you need to think that through. But um, have a read of that quote, because it's actually very clever. It's just um, hard to take in when you hear it. Um, But just to end, I just want to leave you with this question. We're going to spend some time in groups praying, just for a few moments before we sing to close. Um, I just want to challenge each of us, and I've really had to challenge myself with this this week. Uh, Will you let God speak? Will you hear his voice? Or will you get sucked into all the isms of the world that are seeking to either silence God or to relativize what he has said? Because uh, he's a good God. He wants to speak to us. He loves us. He wants to help direct us and point us to Christ. But will we listen to his voice? I'll just read the words that I began with and then just for a few moments perhaps to reflect and you can pray if you feel able in your groups. Let these words stimulate your prayers. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.